psychotic geeks obsessed with every little detail. It'll never get on the air. Well, I think it's good for a show to go off the air before it becomes stale and repetitive. I've just been informed that we are going off the air. Off air with Emily and Catra. <laughs> Plenty. <laughs> oh. Hi. Hey. Welcome back to another episode of Off Air with Emily and Patra. Hey, that's us. It is us. <laughs> I am much better prepared today. Good. I still tired. I don't oh, yeah. I think that's just my permanent state from now on. But it's part of my personality. Yeah. Just like grumpy and tired and hungry and I other. We've talked about this plenty of times before, but I am literally starving. Like <sighs> all I want to do is eat. I have my room temperature yogurt that's been sitting in my purse in a file cabinet since I got here five and a, four and a half hours ago. It's fine. Woof. It'll be fine. It's yogurt. It's, it's supposed fine. to taste weird and old. Oh, my God. <laughs> it is, right? And kind of fruity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I brought my nail polish. I'm like. I see that. You were, like, ready to go. Yeah. I need, I'm doing, I got to do my nails tonight. Your nails always look really well done, though. Thank you. Mine have looked like um, Courtney Love in 1996. <laughs> like, just not even her nails, just her whole existence in 1996. That's what my nails look like. Yeah. Just a I get that. nasty-ass wreck. I'm just wreck. too, Sorry. too much <laughs> of a perfectionist slash anal retentive to let my nails I used like to be that. that way, but I don't know. It seems like I've had other things to do. I don't know. I usually will take it off. Yeah. And now I just, I don't. You're just like me. I'm like, ma. Forget I'll, about it. I got other shit to worry about, I guess. I don't know. This one, I really like this color combo. It's a new, so I put black underneath, but it's mm-hmm. like a mermaidy color from Kiss. Mm. And I really like the color combo. I like what you have and going so, like, on there. And so, like, I've had a couple chip, and I've just, like, peeled the rest of it off and then just redone it. Yeah. But... So, and I've got, so I've got these two. I was trying nail polish swatches last night at. I love that. TJ Maxx. It's fine. That TJ Maxx. Oh <laughs> and, my gosh. Um, so I don't know if I'm going, I want to go light, like my next nail color. I'm doing like a real light, but I don't know if I'm ready to go there yet. Yeah. I know. I'm still I, feeling a dark mood. I know it's spring and I still just brought my red nail polish. That's so dark. It looks black. Yeah. I think I'm just going to take these, like, go over this one with nail polish remover and just do black and green. Do yeah, black and just do it again. again. Yeah. I mean, I feel that. I just, I still, normally, like, I just get sick of my nails and I get bored with it, which is why I change it. But I just, like, I really like this color it's combo. It's pretty, though. It and it's, like, it's still. It's still, like, moody. Mm-hmm. But also, like, springy-ish. It's still, like, and, like fun. fun. I don't know. I like it. So now that we've talked about nail polish for 70 years. Oh. I'm sorry. I just see my eye roll. It's so bad. My eye roll is so bad. <laughs> Any it. work email I receive, like, it, I'm surprised one of my eyeballs hasn't gotten stuck yet. Or fallen out. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, you've worn, you've worn down, like, the, <laughs> uh, the protectant. Yes. Whatever, whatever's holding it in. Whatever keeps my eyeball stuck in there. Yeah. So, I'm pulling this article up. Mm-hmm. The woman, the college, is she a college student? Oh, maybe not. She's 24. She's young. Yeah. Um, no, 21. Anyway, that got into the wrong Uber and got killed. Yes. That is fucking terrifying. Mm-hmm. It is awful. I hate it. I hate it too. <sighs> I don't like it one Mm-mm. bit. No. But yeah, I just had to pull that up really quick because I, when I went to write, my story for today, I put this link to remind me to talk about it because mm-hmm. I'm just terrified of that. I've driven Uber before, mm-hmm. um, and I never really had any negative issues. There are like some, you know, two flirty drunk guys, but that's, yeah. you get that any, no matter where you go. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, I just, I hate it. I hate this whole situation. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. I just wanted to bring that up and bring I everybody also, down. I also just don't like the fact that, like, her friends left her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, like, before, it's like, yeah, I'll just get an Uber home. I'm not ready to go. That, or I'll get a taxi home or whatever. Right. That's fine. But now that this one thing has just shifted everybody's mentality, I feel like. Right. Like, nobody. I don't know. It's just another reminder that, like, nobody's safe. <laughs> yeah, nobody's safe ever for anything. Um Sorry, I'm going to 
and like nobody's nobody's exempt. Like everybody has this because we're all we're selfish creatures. Yeah, we all have this assumption that it won't happen to me. Right. And this is just one of those like situations where it's like, oh shit, that could have happened to me. Yeah. Because every oh everybody's taken an Uber. I feel like in there at least once. Yeah, and it said that he had the child lock on. Mm-hmm. Like, that's terrifying. Yeah. I don't like. I don't either. It makes me very uncomfortable. It does me too. And I love being able to catch an Uber. I mean, if I was out. Yeah. If I ever went anywhere that was more than two blocks from my damn apartment door. <laughs> my God. I've only taken an Uber a couple of times, but not usually. It's, I've been with other people. Mm-hmm. I've never done. Yeah, I've never done too. anything. I've never done a ride share anything by myself. Which no. I don't want to. Yeah, I've never taken one by myself, but I mean, like, I drove them. Yeah, I did for a little bit. Wait, I had—well, no, I was with my daughter, so that Mm -hmm. doesn't count. But she was young. Yeah. So. Yeah. I always feel like I can take them on. Does that make sense? Which is stupid. I shouldn't feel that way. I should be on the defense. But to be honest with you, I'm more, like—I'm a defensive person. Like, Mm -hmm. not a defensive driver. I'm, like, always on the lookout. Like, who's trying to get me? Always on the lookout for yourself. Yeah, because if— if I think, like, I'm going to get you first. Yeah. Sorry. That's, yeah. I am, like, just a little bit, my growing up in the hood in the 80s is coming out <laughs> in me because I am going to try to get you first. If I think you might, here we come. Here well, it goes. Georgia on My Favorite Murder says pepper spray first, ask questions <laughs> and apologize later. There. Like, I love that. <laughs> and I think it's this whole thing of, like, my favorite murder, again, it's the whole fuck politeness thing where it's like, if you feel uncomfortable, do something about it. Right. Yeah. And I'm sick of living the opposite way of that. Yeah. And chances are you're not, it's the same thing like when you're asking questions in like a group environment, like somebody else might have that question too. Somebody else might feel uncomfortable too. Mm -hmm. So we just have to, even though, even though we're like trying so hard and like, F this culture that past right. generations have created where women or smaller men or mm-hmm. even anybody should feel less than mm-hmm. and, like, you're not self-important or whatever. We're all very important. Oh, uh, yeah. And, like, if you feel uncomfortable, do something about it. Yeah. And stand up for yourself. And it might make others uncomfortable when you do that, but that doesn't matter because the people who get uncomfortable about that sort of behavior, they need to be checked a little bit. Mm-hmm. So yeah. do it. Yeah, just come sit by me, and we will just talk a bunch of shit about everybody and flex on hoes, and it'll yeah. be great. Yeah. Great. Piss, piss other people off. Who cares? That's You're my, the only one that matters in the end. I do that like it's my job. Make other people mad. It's fine. I'm a sweet little lady. I shared a meme with Patrick earlier this morning that said, basically, like, I'm not mean. If you think I'm mean, you've got... You're, like, too sensitive or something like that. Yeah. And it was great. It was pretty great because I needed it this morning. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, (laughs) there's Facebook listening to our conversations again. (laughs) Wowza. (laughs) It's okay. I'm I'm just, uh, I'm mean in a fun way. You're not, like, you're just perceived because you're a strong, defensive self. I stand up for myself. Yeah. I demand respect. Yeah. And I I don't like to use this quote because I feel like it was overused, but bitches shit get shit done. Yeah. I mean, bitches get stuff done. Sorry. But um that's the quote. But um uh, sorry. Yeah. Not really. Not even sorry. Mm-mm. Clearly you could tell by the way I said it. Yeah. Sorry for you. Yeah. That's it. Sorry that you're so <laughs> Miserable in your life. Sorry that I'm just... I don't know. That was kind of rude. <laughs> Maybe you're not miserable in your life. <laughs> I don't oh, fucking Oh, my know. word. It's okay. It's all right. We're 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 doing great. This is why we have just a two-person podcast and we're not motivational speakers. Oh, my <laughs> Because God. we're like, actually, just never mind it. <laughs> never mind. We don't know like, what we're saying. Give, a, give like a 45-minute speech on like empowerment and stuff and then at the end be like, or not. <laughs> or maybe not. Yeah. I don't know. Oh I don't really know what God. I just said. <laughs> Good Lord. Um, do you have anything, any updates? Uh, so I had the Carrie Owsley, um, yes. the, what did I call it? The mystery surrounding the death of Carrie Owsley. Yeah. Yeah. I tried to be really um, unbiased mm-hmm. about it. 
the uh, the federal court dismissed the case against any wrongdoing with the deputies surrounding that. So what happened was, if you don't remember, in episode three, which was one of our baby first episodes, yeah. oh, mm-hmm, um, we talked about how this man's uh, death, it was ruled a suicide, but um, it was very suspicious. And the police that were called to the scene were related to the man's wife's ex, like he was there and it, you know, it was just a very messy situation. Mm-hmm. And I do, no matter how I feel about the death or what my thoughts are, because we know these people, they're community members, you know, we are not mm-hmm. going to, I feel like maybe a little more investigation is, is necessary. necessary and that the case should not have been dismissed. So that's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, go back and listen to episode three, Uncle Pete. Uncle if Pete! Have, <laughs> if you haven't already. <laughs> Um, so you can like get a refresher. And we also shared the article, um, over on our Facebook page off the yes. EP. Yeah. So check that out and give us a little likey like. I like, there. um, the picture that they always use of Carrie, which is like, fr- it's like a 19 mid eighties Olin Mills. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I love it so much. I want to be in the background peeking by out behind like a fake log. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Please Photoshop me it. into it. Someone. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not like that exact picture, but yeah, like, that one. Go- My face Google on his face. An, Google an Olin I'm Mills sorry. photo and then take it from there. In the most respectful way. <laughs> <laughs> Just Photoshop my face on his face, please. Oh. Anyway, do you like my? I'm sh- I showed you already, but look at my coffee I do. mug. I love how your wholesome mug. is it? It's it, it's literally the best coffee mug I've ever seen. Right? It's the Berenstain Bears, and it says. Cold milk, hot soup, ice cream soda, one scoop. I love it. Uh, Mama bear, papa bear, brother and sister, and all the other bears have names in that town. But nope. Your mom, dad, brother, sister. Yeah. Nobody cares about you. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody cares about you. Um, Going back to the Photoshop thing, remember that time when I Photoshopped Dave's face on Oprah and called him Bropra? Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. So we have a coworker who... Is kind of a jokester. A little bit of a jokester. we have some forms that, like, kind of get passed around the office. Mm -hmm. Like, there's, like, five people to get this one form um, if we have, like, an event going on. Mm -hmm. And he came out and he said, you get a remote form. (laughs) You get it. And I said, okay, Oprah. I mean, bro-pra. And so then I was like, ooh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to Photoshop him on Oprah. And it's perfect. It's perfect. It was so it's much the fun. Best and he thing. lost it. He it was great. Loves it. Yeah. It's great. He likes when we mess with him, I think. I do too. He's a bitches get stuff done type. Yeah. But I, but I also pranked him a couple weeks ago. He's the guy I mentioned on our April Fool's episode oh, yeah! about pranking. Yeah. I didn't do it, but um because I'm not clever enough. But it's a couple fine. weeks ago I pranked him. He said something about he had been rickrolled like four times that morning. <laughs> and I was like, oh, you know what I want to do? So I found like this like this random URL that mm-hmm. that redirects to never gonna give you up. Right. And I was like, like, hey, I found this really product really cool production piece. You should check it out. <laughs> and I didn't send it until like two in the afternoon, one or two in the afternoon. And he opened it and he goes, he's like, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> it was perfect. It was great. And of course, like I sent it and I ran back to Patrick's desk because they're pretty much catty corner in mm-hmm. the office and I ran back to Patra's desk and we just like we just sat him. there and he got up and went to the bathroom and like <laughs> dilly dallied around and then he I was like <laughs> every time he didn't check it Emily was like I her just eyeballs got, were gonna pop out of her head staring at me it was great like, she was like oh my god <laughs> oh it was awesome it was great yeah I don't know where that came from but it's fine it was a necessary story I'll tell you that <laughs> so I got spooked again last night Oh, no. It wasn't my fault, though. Okay. Okay. Um, I So I'm seeing someone. I would mention that I'm divorced and whatnot. Yeah. And uh, the guy I'm seeing, his name's Joe. He lives in Bloomington. Mm-hmm. And on my way to Bloomington last night on 46, I saw a man. <laughs> I hate still, this. It was still daylight out. But let me tell you, <laughs> I saw this man. <clears throat> And he is walking on the shoulder of the road on 46 on bl- the way to Bloomington. It's not, there's, yeah. there's not a good, it's not a good walking route. No. Um, 20 people at a time will get dressed up in the same damn bicycle uniform and ride their bikes on it. Did I get, 
I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's not good for walking. Um, so, stay out of my way. I'm in a hurry. So I see him. He's wearing gray sweatpants. Mm-hmm. I didn't notice the shoes because I was driving. And I was also, I might have been eating some fries, but it's fine. <laughs> no, and I wasn't eating fries. I was eating spicy beef jerky. Ooh. I knew I was eating something good because I was into it. <laughs> You're so into it. You I was, failed to I notice the like, shoes. Um, anyway, gray sweatpants, no shirt. What? A camouflage backpack, full, like, red, grown-out chin strap beard. So, like, mm-hmm. no facial hair on the face, but just, like, outlining his... And, like, fuzzy oh. red hair. Like, red beard, grown-out, fuzzy red hair. I don't like it. No shirt, pale as can be. I don't like it. Not the fittest man, but mm-hmm. no... I don't care. Yeah, whatever. Just want you to just set in the scene. And I look up with my mouth full of jerky and make eye contact with him. And he's so... Like, so intense. I mean, clearly. And I look at him in the rearview mirror because the backpack, camouflage backpack, he he escaped from somewhere or he's going to break into something. (gasps) Yeah. And so then I tell the guy, Joe, when I get there and like later and he goes, oh, my God, like without even a second, are you afraid he's going to be in your trunk when you get out to the car later? Well, fuck yeah, now I am. (laughs) Damn. So when I got in my car, I checked the back seat and I checked the trunk. <laughs> and I drive a Beetle like this man could not have fit in it. <laughs> he was huge. <laughs> he was going to get me, but not from my trunk. I hate that uh, so much. And that's a, exactly, I mean, I'd been driving it. I know he couldn't get in while I was driving it. But when I got out, I was like, he's in the trunk and just ran toward my door, to my door. Stupid. <laughs> I can't. Um... So when I come in in the morning, I leave my house at like 4.30 in the morning. So it's pitch dark out. Mm -hmm. And 4.30 in the morning comes very quickly sometimes. And I'm a little tired sometimes, which is very dangerous, but it's fine. (laughs) But every once in a while, every once in a while, like I'll either not be paying attention to like my peripherals or whatever. And like a sign will light up funny from, like, a different car, from my car. Yeah. And it looks like, just out of the peripheral, just, like, real quick driving by, looks like somebody's standing there. Oh, and I'm my like, God. I did it this morning. And I was like, oh, uh, <laughs> startles me. You Hate were it. tired this morning. I was very tired yeah. this morning. My eyes have gone down. I took an aller- another allergy pill. Good. Just cranking them in. And, like, every time I, I like, think about being tired, I just drink another cup of coffee. There you go. Yeah. That's fine. I'm like, I this Benadryl ain't stopping me. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god oh, anyway so goodness. that's all I have today that's goodbye all, that's Thanks. all I have <laughs> ooh do you know what I'm doing tonight I will have already done this when this airs what? but I'm taking Ivan to his first middle school thing there's an open house at Central tonight OMG. my sweet young little baby oh my gosh middle school Aww. so if I don't make it in tomorrow it's because I've ended it all that's fine I won't be here so oh my <laughs> You'll find out Monday. <laughs> I'll get a t- I'll get a text tomorrow and be like, um, where's Patra? <laughs> That's but what like, it is. They'll be like, ask Emily, she'll know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> they're together. They're both not here. Yeah, they're gonna be like, mm, fishy. Seems fake, but okay. I'm going to spend the entire weekend up in Niles, like Friday morning to Sunday night. Oh my gosh! Normally, is Christopher I just going? Don't... No, he's going to Texas, so I have to take him to the airport tomorrow morning. Oh, my God. And because the airport is, like, driving to the airport cuts out, like, 45 minutes of my drive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just going to leave from the airport. Yeah, dude. So I took tomorrow off, and I was mm-hmm. like, we're going to Niles. I have to handle something for Danielle. hmm And up in Niles that I can't do here, which is stupid, but it's fine. <laughs> so I was like, well, I'll leave from the airport Take care of that. And then I told my grandpa is that I'll be there probably around lunchtime. Mm-hmm. I'm going to spend all day Friday, almost all day Saturday with him. Oh, my God. Going to go to dinner with my grandma, stay the night at my grandma's on Saturday. And then I'm meeting my other grandma for lunch on Sunday and then going to see Monica and John Sunday night for dinner before I have to come back and pick Christopher up from the airport. Oh, my God. I love your weekend. I know. I do, too. I'm so excited for I it. I cannot wait to hear about it next week. I'm also really excited for Saturday morning to sleep. Oh. <laughs> Like, all the sleep I'm going to get on Saturday. Oh, my god! Because I won't feel pressured to, like, 
run around. Like mm-hmm. normally if I stay like Friday night and Saturday Saturday night or whatever, I feel there's, I've got so many people to see that I have to cram it. Mm-hmm. And normally I'm like, oh, got to get up at eight o'clock <clears throat> so I can go have breakfast with this relative yeah. and or friend. Right. But this time it's like, you have I don't, such a long, luxurious weekend. lunch and then nothing until the next dinner. And I'm like, yes. Yes. I love so that. I'm very excited. I get to see Monica and John's new house. <gasps> Ooh. Which will be fun. That is exciting. Yeah. I'm very excited oh for it. Oh, my God. That's cool. Well, I love that. Um, Danielle's boyfriend is on his way to Texas to see Danielle graduate. She's halfway basic. done. She is halfway done. She's got tech school to finish, which yes. with tech school, she gets her laptop and her phone back, which I'm Yay. so excited. I got a text from her the other day. Oh, my God. That just said, miss you with a couple hearts. And I was like, ah! That's so exciting. <laughs> so excited. I love that. Shit. So I know. I'm very excited to have her back. Cool. I've managed to pay off two of her credit cards while she's been gone. <laughs> You're like, I am doing work in and your I, life. I told Christopher, I was like, I just paid off another one of Danielle's credit cards. And he's like, he's like, you did? And I was like, yeah. He goes, so she's obviously like making money. I said, yeah, because she's not spending it. Yeah. Like she can't spend it. She's stuck in this one little yeah. room. You just get a paycheck when you're there and you don't, I mean, you're, yeah, yeah you don't have to she buy your food have any or free your, time yeah. And, so I managed to pay off two of her credit cards, and I told him, I said, if she comes back and she fucks us all up, I'm going to be very pissed off her. Oh, my God. <laughs> but I've worked very hard at this. I need Emily to, like, do my bills and give me an allowance. I know. My God. <laughs> please. Oh, so Jesus. That's, that's my update. I loved it. So It was a good one. Yeah. Mm. It's going to be I a have, good weekend. I have uh, room temperature yogurt. Mm. It's not bad. I don't mind room temperature mm. yogurt. Sometimes I'd rather it be a little warm, not like warm, but not like ice cold right out of the fridge. Sometimes it hurts. Yeah. And it like, to me, it like loses its flavor a little bit. If it's so cold, it's not as flavorful. Uh, I don't know about that. Maybe it's just the yogurt I buy. Maybe. Do you buy Oikos? No, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I only buy it when it's on sale. Yeah. I usually I buy that. the Kroger brand. Yep. Yep. Because it's good. It is good. Kroger Mm. brand anything is good. It is. To be honest. I'm going to make paninis for dinner because my kids love them. They fucking love them. And they, like, insist I get the stuff from Kroger. Mm -hmm. It's adorable. I told Christopher last night, I said, you have two options for dinner. We can either have chicken for dinner tonight or we can either have chicken or pizza. Whatever you choose tonight, we're having the opposite tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) So what is it, chicken? We're having pizza tonight. Pizza tonight because we we won't be here tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. He's like, no. So then pizza. I can eat. I can eat the leftovers for breakfast. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and we won't have to worry about leftovers when we get home. So speaking of pizza, I told Emily. So I'm back at the gym. All the summer races are getting ready to start up. So I'm running and whatnot. Still just eating like a champ too. <laughs> by the way. Um, but I am working out pretty hard these days. And I told Emily, I was like, I burned almost 600 calories at the gym yesterday at 4:30 p.m. And then last night at 11 p.m. when I crawled into bed, I ate a cold piece of six cheese pizza from Papa John's and mm. it was everything. So, Yum. yeah, you should have that. So Just put good. a bunch of fucking cheese on it. Yeah. I'll eat anything with cheese on it. Oh, yeah. For yeah. sure. Seriously. I yeah. love cheese. Like A sofa cushion. Like when I, if we make something that I put shredded cheese on, mm-hmm. whether it's a salad, tacos, whatever, I always take like three handfuls straight Just eat into it. my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> just wads of yeah. cheese. <laughs> just wads of cheese. And then there's like little crumples flying everywhere and little shreds flying everywhere. And I love that. like, mm, yes, cheese. Oh, my gosh. Give me this cheese. I love so. it. Should we talk about murder? Okay. We've been in here for a minute just chalking. Bullshit. We had a lot to talk about, I we guess. We did. We've been busy. We're busy babies. Okay. Is it me first? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's me first. Okay. So I want to apologize for... Hold on, let me separate. Oh, look, that's today's sheet. It's <laughs> National Burrito Day. Mm. <clears throat> separate that. Okay. But it's not that long. I wrote a lot myself, which I tend to ramble. You're so, like, good. I just like to because if I know the story, I'm like, fucking here yeah. we go. <laughs> like, I'm just going for it. All right. <clears throat> so, I felt bad about my baby killer last week not doing her... Her crime justice, mm-hmm. you know, because it was a terrible crime. Yeah. Uh, what was her fucking name? Top mom. What's her name? Kaylee. Casey, Casey Anthony. Casey Anthony. I could see her stupid. How did Bob I remember haircut. the little girl's name? Like first, which I know, like no one it's remembers terrible, her name, but nobody remembers yeah. her name. <laughs> but it's like Kaylee, Casey, and Cindy Anthony. Okay, get it together, you guys. 
Anyway, <clears throat> so this mm. week I'm going to redeem myself with another terrible ass mom. Ooh. Ready? Yeah. Susan Smith. Oh, girl. Was born on September 26th, 1971. September 26, 2002 is my sweet baby daughter Amelia's birthday, by the way. What's mm. up, Libras? And yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Amelia, Emily, and Susan Smith. Mm-hmm. Oh, and Ivan, because he's, he's a Libra, but Aww. he's a sweet little cute baby. He'll never do anything wrong. Um, <laughs> Susan Smith was born on September 26, 1971, in South Carolina. She was the youngest of three children, the only daughter. Her parents divorced when Susan was seven, and five weeks later, her father committed suicide. Ooh. Yeah. Within weeks of the divorce, so probably just shortly after the father's suicide or maybe right before, it didn't really say, mm-hmm. um, Susan's mother remarried, so five weeks after Holy the divorce, cow. yeah, yeah, uh, and moved the family in with her new husband, Susan's stepfather, who was a successful local businessman. Uh, so their life went from like a little small house to like a nice fancy subdivision. Mm-hmm. So like, um, you know, you yeah. know how that goes. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> As a teen, Susan was a good student, well-liked and outgoing. In her senior year of high school, she received the Friendliest Female Award and was known for being fun and cheerful. (laughs) What's that like? I know. (laughs) I'm like immediately like gross. I would have never hung out with her. (laughs) During these years, at the age of 16, Susan reported to her mother and the Department of Social Services that her stepfather was molesting her. Mm-hmm. Her stepfather moved out of the home, but nothing came of the report that was filed. And after a few family counseling sessions um, over the course of a few weeks, he was allowed to move back in to the home. Susan's mother and stepfather were more upset over the embarrassment she'd caused of the family they yeah, were. by making the abuse public. She tried, Susan tried once more to reach out for help. She spoke to a school counselor who again contacted social services, but Susan refused to press charges and lawyers got the record sealed. I don't know how that's possible. Like what, were they like able to just like sweep it under the rug and be like, no, we're not doing this. Yeah. Okay. To keep Uh, the money, probably money. Yeah. Cause he was a successful local businessman. Yeah. Um, so they kept the molestation private, not to humiliate the family. God forbid you humiliate the successful businessman who's an asshole. Also during her senior year of high school when she was 18 and working at a local Winn-Dixie grocery store, she was having an affair with an older married man. Susan got pregnant and had an abortion. The married man broke off their relationship, and Susan attempted suicide by taking aspirin and Tylenol. Um, You can kill yourself that way, by the way. It's not great. I think maybe younger people don't really realize it because Mm -hmm. it's such an easy access over-the-counter medication. It can really harm you. Mm -hmm. Um, While being treated for the attempt, she admitted to having attempted suicide the same way before at the age of 13. So I'm guessing that's when the molestation started or when she was having a break about the molestation. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Susan began seeing another coworker shortly after that. Coworker and high school friend David Smith. David broke off his engagement with another woman and began seeing Susan. So clearly she's got a type and that type is unavailable. Susan and David Smith married on March 15th, 1991, and moved into David's grand great-grandmother's house. Susan was only 20. I mean, so was David, but tw- I got married at 20. 20. Mm-hmm. Ooh, it's tough. David's parents were mourning the loss of another son to Crohn's disease. Thus, David's brother and his passed away less than two weeks before David and Susan were married. And in May of 91, David's father attempted suicide. Shortly after that, David's mother moved to another city. So, Holy guacamole. Yeah, lots of family drama. But Susan was like, oh, I get this, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, they're young. They're newly married. It's a, it's a mess. Mm-hmm. On October 10th, 1991, Michael David Smith was born. The couple were overjoyed with the birth of their first son, but they struggled with their marriage. Susan often reached out to her mom for financial help and parenting advice, and David was resentful of his mother-in-law butting in and trying to control their lives. Typical. Mm-hmm. Especially when you have a new baby and you're young, it's typical. Mm-hmm. In March of 92, just a year after they were married, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they were separated. They tried off and on to mend the relationship, but Susan began dating an old boyfriend from work. Um, this woman, I know she had a shitty life, but she is like the hoe at work. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, damn. Uh, 
she was dating an old boyfriend from work during their breakups. So she'd like go back to David and when they'd break up, go back to this other guy. In November of 92, Susan announced that she was pregnant and the couple reconciled. They borrowed money from Susan's mom and put a down payment on a house. But surprise, having babies and buying a house didn't save the relationship. Actually, that shit's kind of stressful. (laughs) And in June of 93, David began a relationship with a female coworker. I don't know if the Smiths know this, but you can meet people from other places than your work. Did you know that? I didn't. Yeah. Interesting. Write it down. On August 5th, which is the day after my birthday, what's Whoa. up? 1993, Alexander Tyler Smith was born. David and Susan reunited, but within three weeks, David had once again moved out, and the two decided the relationship was over for good. No matter the state of their relationship, the two seemed to enjoy being parents, and they were attentive to the children. <clears throat> I mean, that's good. Right? <laughs> they seemed to be co-parenting, but fighting like, Cats and dogs in the background, I guess. In January 1994, Susan and Tom Finley, the CEO's son at her new job, which was, it was kind of a prestigious job. I guess they lived in like kind of a small town in South Carolina. Um, So she was the like executive assistant, the Mm -hmm. secretary to the CEO. She began dating his son, Tom. Um, It was casual. But by spring, she and David were back together. Mm -hmm. The reconciliation only lasted a few months, and Susan told David she wanted a divorce. In September, she was dating Tom Finley again and planning their future together. But Tom was, like, at the same time trying to figure out how to break up with Susan. Uh You know, like, she's a a fucking mess, right? I'm sorry for being so congested. My eyes have at least un... It's fine. Yeah, they've gone down, shrank. A few days before David and Susan filed for divorce, Tom Finley sent Susan a Dear John letter um, saying that he was, he definitely didn't want kids. It went, so I printed the letter. It is two and a half full-ass pages. I'm not reading that whole thing. So um, he was emphatic about not wanting children. He encouraged Susan to act with more self-respect and referenced an, uh, an, a, an episode when Susan and her friend's husband were kiss- were caught kissing each other in a hot tub during a party at, <laughs> at the at Tom's dad's house. Oh my gosh! Yeah, um, Tom said, "If you want to catch a nice guy like me one day, you have to act like a nice girl." And you know, nice girls don't sleep with married men. First of all, that upset me. Yeah, because uh, you didn't have any problem sticking it in her. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Don't tell her how to catch a nice man like you. Well, you didn't have any problems sleeping with the work hoe, so what? How Who are was you? technically married? Right. Okay. <clears throat> anyway, so there's like this two and a half page, like eh, I'm too good for you letter. I didn't read the whole thing. He seems awful. Susan <laughs> was devastated when she read the lever the letter. She was deeply depressed that Tom ended their relationship, but. Unknown to him, she was still sexually involved with David. She was involved with her stepfather still. Oh, no. I know, because she was only in her young 20s. So, I mean, the abuse had just happened and just been brought kind of out in the open just a few years before. And she had allegedly had a sexual affair with her boss, Tom's father. (laughs) Gross! She's obviously got some... uh, Yeah, she's got some trauma. My God! Good Lord. Ew. His dad. And dad and son. Uh, mm. Susan so, can do you wait. Yeah. Do you think that she like compared them? I mean, she wouldn't was like, you? <laughs> yeah, you're definitely his dad. Like, oh. Or mm, like, oh, I thought it would be. I mean, obviously it was good, because otherwise she wouldn't have gone for the dad too. She'd be like, oh, double this. <laughs> double the pleasure, double the fun. <laughs> Oh, my God. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, so sorry. I mean, I would <laughs> never want to be in that position. I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, Susan. Okay, Susan confessed all of this to Tom and even implied, like, my sentence doesn't make sense that I wrote because I couldn't figure out what I was trying to say. But mm-hmm. she was basically kind of trying to blackmail him. Um or the family, because she was like, you know, I'm getting a divorce and uh, 
this this affair with your dad could come out in my divorce, mm-hmm. you know, and they're all successful business owners at this time. So yeah. at least her dad is. Um, <coughs> Tom just reiterated that their relationship was over. Are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that they would not have a sexual relationship ever again. I get it. I get being like all up on your high horse if you find out that your your work co is sleeping with your dad. <gasps> Ew, dad. Ew. (laughs) On October 25th, 1994. Okay, we're serious now. I'm an idiot. Dude, start that sentence. Okay, I'm so sorry. It's fine. On October 25th, 1994. That was 14 days after I was born, just FYI. Oh, my God. <laughs> I lived in California at that time. Oh, my God. Uh, how long did you live in California? Like six months. Oh. I, I don't remember it at all. I you love the a, Beach Boys. I was just a little infant. I'm sorry. It's okay. Hey, on October 25th, 1994. <laughs> so sorry. Frick, we are insane. Susan spent the day... Basically, like, obsessing over the breakup mm-hmm. with Tom Finley. As the day went on, she got more and more upset and asked to leave work early. After she picked up her children from daycare, she stopped to talk to a friend in the parking lot of a local bar where the friend worked. And she said she was worried about Tom's reaction to her sleeping with his dad. Mm-hmm. Something to worry about. That stressed me out. <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> Susan spent the evening trying to get information about Tom from mutual friends. Um, she knew that one of her friends had had dinner with Tom, and she was basically, like, asking if he was talking about her. Did he mention me? You know, things yeah. like that. He didn't. No. They're not. He's not going to be like, hey, so remember that chick I was sleeping? Fucked my dad. No. You don't bring that up. Um. Okay, sorry. Especially if it's, like, fresh and you're like, oh. Right, and they... You know her, remember? You know. You know her, Susan. She fucked my dad. No. At around 8 p.m. after making a frozen pizza for dinner, she packed... Same. (laughs) She packed the boys into her car and drove around. Susan would later state that she planned to go to her mother's, that she wanted to die. But instead, she drove to John D. Long Lake and drove onto a ramp, got out of the car, put the car in drive, released the brake, and watched as her car with... Her boys sleeping in the back seat rolled into the water and slowly sank. Yeah. Uh, Susan Smith then ran to a nearby home and knocked on the door. She was hysterical. She told the homeowners, Shirley and Rick McLeod, that a black man had taken her car and her two boys. She described that she'd stopped at a red light at Monarch Mills when a man with a gun jumped into her car, shoved the gun into her side and told her to drive. She drove around some and then he told her to stop and get out. At that point, he told her he wouldn't hurt the kids and then drove off with the boys who she could hear crying out for her. Um, <clears throat> David's dad, um, he was like, you know, he's lost a child to Crohn's disease. Mm-hmm. And he, like, as soon as he heard the story, he told David, he was like, no, she's lying. Yeah. He was like, I'd be in that car. I would be dead. Yeah. that car. He was like. She's not holding on to the bumper. She didn't try hard enough to keep her kids. I love that statement. Yeah. Yeah. I just Seriously. love it. Because that is just the damn truth. Like, mm-hmm. holy shit. <sighs> um, okay. So the Shirley and Rick McLeod call the police. There's a 911 tape of them saying, like, yeah, they had a gun. You know, he, they believe this woman. She's distraught and hysterical, mm-hmm. a stranger at their door. For nine days, Susan Smith stuck with the abduction story. Friends and family surrounded her in support. And David returned to his wife's side as the search for their children intensified. He completely believed her. Mm -hmm. I mean, Susan and David were plastered all over the national media. It was a frenzy, pretty much. I mean, I was more than six months old. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I kind of remember it, but I was pretty, pretty young-ish. Yeah. Um, But I was into true crime. Mm -hmm. You know, I was a weird kid. Susan was telling her story of a black man carjacking her and kidnapping her sons in like a terrifying ordeal. And her husband and David was by her side pleading for the return of their sons. In the meantime, Susan's abduction story began to unravel. Mm. The sheriff at the time, Howard Wells, the lead investigator on the case, had David and Susan polygraphed. David passed, but Susan's results were inconclusive. Throughout the nine days of the investigation, Susan was given. Multiple polygraphs and questioned 
about the inconsistencies in her carjacking story. One of the biggest clues that led the the authorities to believe Susan was lying was her story about stopping at a red light on Monarch Mills Road. Okay, so I'm going to tell a quick story here. I got into an accident actually last year after Women's Expo mm-hmm. at the light at Washington and 11th where the fire to fire station is. Yeah. The insurance company claimed that the light could not have changed when it did unless there was someone coming from the other way. So I made sure to check because I was like fucking fed up with the insurance company. Yeah. I made sure to check the very next morning. By the way, my car got totaled. That was a year ago today. Yeah. A year ago today? Yesterday? I don't know. Um, anyway, so maybe not the next morning, but a few days later. Um, <clears throat> but the light, it was something to do with the lights that basically was like, she's lying. Mm-hmm. But I'm telling you, the insurance company did not know. For me, in my instance, the both lights were green. Both Both places had arrows at the time that they claimed that it couldn't happen. And they they were like, Oh, okay, well, let me check. And then they paid my claim and didn't say anything else about it. So they could have just been lying to me. Do you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? But anyway, um, it was like, it was a tricky ordeal. So one of the biggest clues that led the authorities to believe Susan was lying was about her story was stopping at a red light on Monarch Mills Road. She stated that she saw no other cars on the road, but the light turned red. So if there's no other cars, the light won't turn red. Mm -hmm. It'll just stay green. The light on Monarch Mills was always green and only turned red if it was triggered by a car on the cross street. Mm-hmm. Since she said that there were no other cars on the road, there was no reason for her to come to a red light. By now, Susan's polygraph and the discrepancies in her stories were being leaked to the press. And the initial support she'd gotten from, like, the community and, like, the nation, basically, was starting to waver. And reporters were starting to ask accusatory questions of her. <sighs> <laughs> okay. By now, Susan's polygraph and the discrepancies in her stories were being leaked to the press and the initial support she'd gotten from the community and, like, the the nationwide media basically overall was starting to waver and reporters were starting to ask accusatory questions of her. Um, Okay, so I put this in here in parentheses because she seemed over—people say— She seemed overly concerned with how she looked in front of the television cameras and at times asked about the whereabouts of Tom Finley. And she also had dramatic moments of deep sobbing on camera, but would have, she'd be dry eyed and tearless. Um, I don't know how I would ever react or I, I am, I guarantee I would still check to see what I looked like. Yeah. I mean, I, sorry, that's just ingrained in my brain. Mm -hmm. You know, I can be like, Go into town on, like, a hot dog or just sobbing into my arms, but I will still glance in the mirror and be like, okay, you got it, sis. Mm-hmm. I can't help it. Yeah. So I that's why I put that in parentheses. She did have, like, kind of famous, like, mommy and daddy love you. She's from South Carolina, so I just I love it. Anyway. Yeah. <clears throat> on November 3rd, 1994, David and Susan appeared on CBS This Morning, and David voiced his full support of Susan and her story about the abduction. After the interview, the same day, Susan met with Sheriff Wells for another interrogation. This time, Sheriff Wells was really direct and just told her he didn't believe her. Carjacking is a lie. He explained about the stoplight and other, um, like, the other adaptations of her story and how they couldn't be possible. Mm -hmm. Exhausted and emotionally badgered, Susan asked Wells to pray with her. Then afterwards, she began crying and telling how ashamed she felt for what she had done. Her confession, she confessed to pushing the car into the lake. Um, She said she had wanted to kill herself and her children, but in the end, she got out of the car and let the boys die. Mm -hmm. A previous search of the lake failed to turn up Susan's car, but after her confession, she gave the police the exact location and the exact distance the car had floated out before it sank. Mm -hmm. Divers found the car turned upside down. Um, They describe it pretty rough, so I'm not going to do that. Uh, The children were still attached to their car seats, and this is like a famous, like, image from this abduction. One diver described that he saw the small hand of one of the children pressed against a window. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people have taken that to be like, they were begging her, like, please don't send us. They were asleep. Yeah. Also found in the car was the Dear John letter Tom Finley had written. An autopsy of the children proved that both boys 
were still alive when their heads were submerged underwater. Yeah. During the trial, Susan's lawyers relied on Susan's littered childhood of tragedy and sexual abuse. Um, That will definitely hurt your mental health for sure. Yeah, for sure. Uh, That she had a lifetime of untreated depression, which is documented here, Mm -hmm. and suicidal thoughts. They explained that her... um, her need to depend on others for happiness led to her, like, multiple sexual partners and relationships. Uh, basically, that she was just mentally ill. Mm-hmm. The prosecution showed the jury a more manipulative side of Susan, saying that she only cared about her own desires, that her children had gotten in the way of her ability to be with Tom Finley, and that by killing them, she would get sympathy from her former lover and... With the children gone, one less reason for him to want to end their relationship. Yeah. Still fucked his dad, though. (laughs) (laughs) Susan was unresponsive during the trial, except when her sons were mentioned, which sometimes led to her sobbing and shaking her head. The jury deliberated for a long-ass time. Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Two and a half hours. Oh, yeah. Before returning a guilty verdict on two counts of murder— Despite David's protests, Susan Smith was spared the death sentence and received 30 years to life in prison. She will be eligible for parole in 2025. Yeah. When she is 53 years old. Oof. Yeah. David has sworn to attend every parole hearing to try to keep her in jail for life. Mm Mm-hmm. Michael and Alex Smith were buried together in the same casket in the Bogensville United Methodist Church Cemetery on November 6, 1994, next to the grave of David's brother and the children's uncle, Danny Smith. Mm -hmm. Since her incarceration at South Carolina's Leith Correctional Institution, two guards have been punished for having sex with Smith. Oh, my God. Her sexual activity in prison was discovered after she developed a sexually transmitted disease. Oh, my God. Susan <laughs> is currently serving her sentence in South Carolina and is eligible for parole in just five and a half fucking years. What is happening? Yeah! <laughs> fucking her way to the top. She's not even that Seriously. pretty. She, her hair looks like mine in the old 80s. Like, it's terrible. Yeah? We look like... like members of a Quiet Riot cover band. <laughs> So, Susan Smith. Um, Better than Casey Anthony, am I right? Did it. Yeah. Go, Patra. Good job. Go, Patra. (laughs) (laughs) That was insane. It was insane. That was a roller coaster. Yeah. Two and a half pages typed on a computer from Tom Finley. His PS says, it's late. So please don't count off for spelling or grammar. Tom, you could have wrote it in your own shit and she'd still treasure it. Do you not get yeah. that? My God. That's, Good Lord. I was all worked up over this one. <laughs> After I did Casey Anthony last week, I was just like, no, I didn't do a good job and I'm going to do better next week. <laughs> and let's think of another baby killer. It was either Andrea Gates or Susan Smith. Mm-hmm. Yep. Susan Smith. I'm glad won. you did this one. Yeah, because she's more easily hated. I feel. Let me. I didn't. I can't preface it. Let me reface it. Postface it. Sure. Okay. Women and young mothers, your lives are young mothers. Your lives are hard. Mothers in general, being a woman and walking that fine balance of sweet and hard and professional and mm-hmm. respectable and responsible is so difficult. Mm-hmm. Mental illness is a real thing. Mm-hmm. She was just a, just a slutty hoe that I don't like. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. Like, I don't like her. We're good. I feel I have, no matter how hard you hate on parents, especially as a mother, especially moms who hurt their children. There's always this little bit of, man, what was she going through? What was in her head? What was mm-hmm. going on with her? If you've ever struggled with any kind of like mental illness or postpartum yeah. depression, or even if you're just like a person who can think out, you know, of both sides. This one, she is easy to hate. To me, like, 
regardless, and this is coming from personal experience, so I'm not being like judgy or insensitive, right. but regardless of how bad your depression gets, right, you still don't do yeah. that without suffering the consequences. Like, obviously, if you're having a different kind of mental break, like you've got schizophrenia right. or something where you literally, Delusions. yeah, where right. you are literally out of your mind, right. that's a different story. That but is different. If you are just so sad and just so emotionless mm-hmm. with depression and that kind of stuff, that's a di- to me, that's a different story. I agree like, completely. Like, yeah, okay, I get you were depressed and you wanted to kill yourself and uh-huh. this kind of stuff, but. But. <laughs> yeah, I feel you, dude. I feel the same way. <sighs> All right. That was a good story, though. Okay, I don't think I've good. ever heard the full story of that. I didn't I know it. all of her history. Yeah. No. When I I mean, when I was younger, I just saw this woman um that killed her kids, you know? Mm-hmm. And I always remembered that diver's recap of seeing the baby's hand pressed against the window. And it's like, I fucking hate that bitch. And I now then when I went back to research it, I was like, okay, she's a mom, young mom, mm-hmm. two young kids close together, you know, relationship issues. What was she going through? Uh she was going through. She was going through it, mm-hmm. but a lot of people go through it and don't kill their kids. Everybody's battling something. Mm-hmm. Every single person. Every single one. And if you're not, you're lying. Liar. There's two kinds of people: people that pee in the shower and liars. <laughs> oh, that's true. Um. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Love you. Your turn. <sighs> <laughs> One Sunday morning on April in April 1943, during the dark days of World War II, four teenage boys made a terrifying discovery that would baffle the police and remain a mystery to this day. The four boys were searching for a bird's nest in Hagley Woods, a private estate near Birmingham in England's Midlands. Ooh, it's in England. Mm-hmm. Sorry. It's okay. Climbing up an ancient old witch elm tree. Fancy murder. 15-year-old <laughs> Bob Farmer saw, saw something truly terrible. Looking down a hollowed-out trunk, Farmer noticed a strange object staring back at him from the dark interior. He was horrified when he realized that it was a human skull staring back at him. A clump of hair hung off the remaining flesh on the forehead. Mm. Two crooked teeth gaped out of the mouth. And after the boys had a good look at the horrific find, they put it back in the tree and left the woods. Same, boys! <laughs> oh, my God! <laughs> Fucking me, too. They agreed amongst themselves to not tell anybody and... Because they were trespassing. You're right. They're teenagers. Yeah, they like, were they were trespassing, poaching, and if they told the police, they'd be in trouble. Oh my God. Which, like, ultimately, I don't think so. <laughs> right. I understand where they're coming from. Yeah. Being scared, but probably just go ahead and tell somebody. Yeah. Um, one of the boys was so upset by what he saw that he ended up telling his father and the police were called to the area. What they found inside Good. the old tree trunk was, in fact, bizarre. The skeleton of a young woman minus one of her hands was there. Mm. A piece of taffeta was stuffed into the skull's mouth. Some scraps of cloth of clothes with labels cut out, battered shoes, and a gold ring were also found in the tree. The labels were cut out of the clothes? Mm-hmm. Weird. Nearby were the bones of the woman's hand scattered next to the tree. The police were troubled by the unusual circumstances about her death. Pathologist James Webster was able to determine the victim had died around 18 months prior, was around the age of 35 years old, with mousy colored hair. Oh, could it be me? Yeah. <laughs> was five foot tall and had given birth in the past and had irregular teeth. Oh, my God, it's me. <laughs> Webster could find no obvious injuries and concluded that she had probably died as a result of the cloth stuffed down her throat. She also be- He also believed that she had been placed in the tree shortly after death because the space was so tight inside that she wouldn't have fit once rigor mortis had set in. Oh, gross. Awful. Yeah. Okay. From Webster's work, the police managed to create a detailed description of the woman, but nobody came forward, and the search of 3,000 missing person cases around the country provided no solution. Dang. A nationwide search of dental practices also drew a blank. The woman had had dental work done within a year of her death, but there wasn't a trace of her presence at any surgery. Hmm. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's like 1943. So maybe just so records like, weren't great. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. obviously don't know. In, 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 in England... <laughs> I obviously don't know dental right, they, technology very well. Right. So. We don't know England. Teeth. I don't know England. <laughs> the I 40s. Know, yeah. No, I have zero idea on what any of that What else don't stuff. we know? Mm. Lots. It's fine. I, yeah, a lot of it. 
Uh, the flurry of press interest soon faded. The area had suffered three years of Luftwaffe, which is the aerial warfare branch of the combined German Wehrmacht military forces during World War II. So they they suffered three years of bombings, mm-hmm. and efforts of the war were at the center of most people's thoughts. So they were like, yeah. yeah, I'm trying to survive this war, not worry about this chick who's found in a tree. World War II was on everybody's minds. As of Christmas... As Christmas of 1943 approached, uh, people had pretty much forgotten about the case of the woman in the tree until graffiti started. Who put Lou Bella down the witch elm? The first one said. Then Hagley Wood Bella. Soon it settled on who put Bella in the witch elm. The graffiti appears on walls through the West Midlands, seemingly by the same hand. Someone, it seemed, knew more than they were letting on. Mm -hmm. From then on, the woman found in, in the old elm at Hagley would be known as Bella even by the police, but they were never able to find who was responsible for the graffiti and were no no closer to answering its question. Folklorist Margaret Murray suggested Bella may have been killed in an occult ceremony, the removal of the hand typical of a black magic execution. Oh, okay. The theory that Bella had fallen victim to a coven of witches was popular for a while, but with the absence of any genuine leads from the police, the case eventually went cold. I mean, that would be a really cool... Like, oh, there's a coven of witches that did it. Mm -hmm. But no. Yeah. It wasn't until 1953 when journalist Wilfred Byford Jones started to write about the old case in the Wolverhampton Express and Star. England. Yes. (laughs) Um, But the interest was revived. Uh, Byford Jones would soon receive the first solid lead in nearly a decade. A letter signed only Anna offered new details of what had happened to Bella. According to the letter, Bella had been murdered because her, because of her involvement with a Nazi spy ring operating in the Midlands in the early 1400s. Damn, in, it's in early really 40s. World War II time. Yeah. Okay. The spy theory seemed more rooted in reality than talk of witchcraft. Hundreds of German spies were captured in Britain during the war, and the Midlands would have been a valuable source of intelligence because of its prevalence of munitions factories. Mm. Um. This is a quote. I don't know where it's from because I didn't write it. Okay. Let me see if I've got it in here. Yeah, I don't freaking know. But this quote says, finish your articles regarding the witch elm crime by all means. They are interesting to your readers. Oh, this is the letter signed by Anna to. Oh, okay. okay. It says, finish your articles regarding the. Regarding the witch elm crime, by all means, they are interesting to your readers, but you will never solve the mystery. One person who could give the answer is now beyond the jurisdiction of the earthly courts. The affair is closed and involves no witches, black magic, or moonlit moonlight rites. Mm. Byford Jones was naturally intrigued, and after a subsequent correspondence, Anna revealed herself to be Una Mossop and told the full story. Her husband, Jack, had worked at a local munitions factory in the early 40s, and had come into some money after meeting a mysterious Dutchman. Oh, my God. I want to meet a mysterious Dutchman and come into some money. Me, too. Uh, Jack later admitted to Una that the Dutchman was a Nazi agent. Maybe not. <laughs> uh, Jack- Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. Jack had been passing him information about local industrial sites, which in turn was passed to another agent posing as a cabaret performer at local theaters. Oh my God. What even was the 40s? I don't know. Jesus. The 40s in England. Right? <laughs> my God. The 40s in England sound kind of like what we perceive the 20s in the U.S. to be. Yeah. Um, the, Spies and mystery. Yeah. And I just love it. Anyway. Cabaret performers. Oh, my and God. Long cigarettes. and Yeah. I don't know. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> the Midlands had been bombarded by the Luftwaffe in the early 40s, and such information would have been invaluable for the Nazis to target their raids where they would do the most damage to, the Britain, to Britain's war effort. Uh, one day Jack met his contact at a pub close to Hagley Wood. He was arguing with a Dutch woman. He ordered Jack to drive them both out to the Clent Hills, but the argument had grown extremely violent and the Dutch agent strangled the woman in the car. Mm. Fearing for his own life, Jack helped carry the body to nearby Hagley Wood, where the pair buried it in the hollow of an old elm tree. Una's husband was apparently so traumatized by the brutal murder of Bella that he had had a nervous breakdown, tormented by horrific visions of a woman's skull in a tree. Jack was institutionalized in 1941 and apparently died later that year. Dang. Yeah. Um, The timing fit well with the timing of her death. Um, The pathologist 
had estimated it was about 18 months prior to the body discovery, which would have placed it in the middle of 1941. So the timing fits. Mm -hmm. The information Una gave by Byford Jones was convincing enough that the police and MI5 got involved. According to Byford Jones, they verified some details of Una's account, but were unable to find any of the remaining perpetrators. With the involvement of the intelligence services, some have speculated there may have been a cover-up over the investigation of the information. Just eight years after the war, details of spy rings may still have been classified. My God. The cover-up theory was also so bolstered by the curious fact that Bella's remains had gone missing, precluding to any other, precluding to any further for forensic examinations. Her, bo- her body's missing? Yeah. Okay. The story faded back into semi-obscurity. An occasional piece of graffiti would briefly revive the interest, but there were no new leads for another 15 years and a book by historian Donald McCormick. McCormick's Murder by Witchcraft, despite its name, built upon the spy ring theory, says that McCormick had obtained the Abwehr files, the records of German military intelligence. Mm -hmm. According to his information, a Nazi agent by the name of Lehrer was operating in the Midlands in 1941. He had a Dutch girlfriend living in Birmingham called Clarabella Dronkers. Clarabella Dronkers. What a name. My God. Um, I just, love that. I just picture her now in her little flapper dress. And <laughs> I'm Clarabella. Oh, my God. So sorry. I love it. What's especially suggestive about the identification is that a real Nazi spy was captured in mid-1942 and executed at Wandsworth Prison on New Year's Eve that year. His name was Johannes Marinus Dronkers. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was. It's possible that some kind of love triangle had developed amongst the agents or that Bella had grown loose-lipped and risked risked revealing their existence to the British authorities. Further tidbits support the idea. Jesus Christ, this copy and paste job I did. Yeah, I love that. That was <laughs> me with Casey Anthony. Further tidbits support the idea. Mm. There were several reports in 1940 and 41 of the Home Guard being alerted to possible agents parachuting into the area around Clunt Hill and Hagley Wood. A former British soldier told author Ian Topham that he saw Nazi files detailing agents that were operating in the Midlands. One operative matching Bella's description was codenamed Clara and had parachuted into the area in 1941. In recent years, newly declassified M1 fi- MI files from the war have shed some fresh light on the spy ring theory. One file details the arrest and interrogation of Czech-born Gestapo agent named Joseph Jacobs. Jacobs, who had the dubious distinction of being the last man to be executed at the Tower of London, was captured after parachuting into, the, into Cambridgeshire in 1941. Found on Jacobs was a photograph of a young woman. She was a cabaret singer and German movie star called Clara Bowerl? Bowerl? Bowerly? Clara B. Claire, wait, what was the other one's name? Clara Bella. Clara Bella Dronkers. So on Spies the, should come up with better names. I know. But at least they like, come use up the with the same name, guys. At least come up with different ones. Like if it's the same person, come up with different. Like if I'm, if you're Emily Mills, am I, I'm going to come up with a fake name? Emily Swills. No, that's stupid. Amelia Miller. Mm. Mm. Just all this stuff. Don't do it. Mm-mm. <laughs> um, according to Jacobs, she had also been recruited by Gestapo, by the Gestapo as a secret agent. Jacobs' information checked out. That girl, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, Bowerly. Bowerly was a German cabaret singer and tellingly had worked in Birmingham for several years before the war and had even developed a convincing local accent. She would have been an ideal candidate for, this, for a spy. According to Jacobs, she was due to follow him to, into England, although after his capture, he thought it was unlikely this had happened, but the timing made sense. Nothing was heard of from Bowerly again until... No. Nothing was heard from her again after 1941, the year Bella was thought to have died. It's not too much of a stretch to see how Clara Bowerly may have been remembered as Clara Bella to English audiences. Perhaps someone had even recognized her from her pre-war days in Birmingham. The risk of Clara being exposed as a German in England during the middle of the war may have threatened the spy ring she had been involved in. One reason that might tend against the spy theory is the method of death. Bella was found deep in a private woodland in an overgrown witch elm tree. It's hard to understand why anyone, least of all a foreign spy unfamiliar with the locale, mm. would choose this as a burial site. How would they even know right. that tree existed? 
Um, there are loose ends with the spy theory as well. None of the remaining members of the ring were ever found despite extensive searches. Even today, uh, with wartime records declassified, very little light has been shed on the put- putative spy ring. Did you just hear my stomach? I did. That was so loud. My God. I mean, I have headphones <laughs> on. <laughs> uh, recently discovered MI5 doc. MI5 documents have prompted the theory that Bella may have been Joseph Jacobs' girlfriend, Clara Bowerly. He's waving. I don't know if that means he's coming in or... Guess not. Okay. Okay. Um, Clara. They... MI5 documents prompted that they were boyfriend and girlfriend, but the idea still has flaws. Pathologist James Webster listed Bella's height as five foot, whereas Bowerly was known to be quite a tall woman. And online databases of German musical performers list Bowerly's death at 1942, which, if accurate, would rule her out because it was a year difference. Mm. Um, other less exotic theories have been suggested over the years. Bella was a prostitute murdered by an angry John, a local barmaid killed by an American GI. More far-fetched the, was that she was a gypsy killed in an occult ritual. So that is who put Bella in a witch zone. Ah, I wish it was a gypsy. I know. God. Or a GI. That'd be such a, like, yeah, dirty story. I don't know. I mean, it was spies and... Spies good. and Nazis and... I like that. Mm-hmm. I have never heard of it. Really? Yeah. It's kind of a... At least I thought it was kind of a popular case. See, I'd never heard of it. Well, there you go. Oh, my God. Now you have it. Now next time you hear next time you hear of it, you're going to be like, mm, I already know that. I already know that story. Thank you. I know everything about it. Hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> My arms are sore. I'm supposed to go work out in like 40 oh. minutes. Ow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to do it. I got to figure out what I'm having for lunch. I'm I tough. Brought, I brought a chicken breast, but Ooh. I didn't bring anything with the chicken breast. Just a chicken I like, breast. Fuck this. I, I only brought a yogurt today. I don't want chicken. Mm. I had chicken last night for dinner. I don't want more chicken. If you go to one of our places, I'm going to make you bring me something back. I don't even want to work out, but I'm going to because I have to do these races. I probably will go. Yeah? To Forest Street. Oof. I'm going to ask you to bring me something back. Okay. We can talk about it. Something meaty. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just want some breadsticks. I'm training for an 8K, Tame the Terrain, something else in the middle there. Our freaking fireworks show this summer. I'm also in training for that. Yeah. Um, and then the mill race half in September. Let me just repeat. I'm going to go get some breadsticks. <laughs> but I'm also down for them breadsticks. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks for listening to today's episode. Thanks. I feel better about this week already. Yeah. I, it was a good one. Yeah. Um, if you have any recommendations, let us know. And make sure you share with your friends. Tell them. Be like, they're stupid. Listen Tell to them. Tell them about it. Be like, these chicks stress me out, but it's true. At least it's not my life stress. (laughs) That's also true. (laughs) (laughs) All right. See you next week. Bye. Bye.